You're listening to The John Hammer Show, thoughts and discussions from a preacher, disciple of Jesus, author, poet, and pastor. Brought to you by the Sunrise Podcast Network. For more information about Sunrise and or the Sunrise Podcast Network, check out isunrise.org. This podcast is also sponsored in part by Seattle Bible College. For more information about the school, check out seattlebiblecollege.edu. Welcome to the John Hammer Show. It's good to be back. Thank you for listening and tuning in. I hope if you like this, you'll subscribe, you'll share, you'll spread the word, spread the love, make comments, ask questions somewhere on some one of our platforms. Uh, it just helps us get the word out, you know. And today I'm joined with my good friend and fellow worker in the ministry, uh, James Lemley. Hello. Hey, James. Good to hang out with you. Yeah, good to James be here. James is usually on the other side of the camera. He does our camera work, media work. James is like a snowboarder, skater, photographer, artsy, worship leader, musician, just Mr. Talented. And so I just love this guy. He's my guy. Uh, I've been, he's helped me in leadership uh, for many years. And so uh, it's good to have him helping me out today, joining me in this uh, conversation about the way of Christ and the apostles. Is there anything else that the audience should know about you? About me. Brother James. <laughs> you pretty much nailed it all. Yeah. He taught my son to backflip. So that was my son's pretty stoked on that. He could do his Did front I? he could kind of get his front flip, but nice. yeah, he's backflipping now on the trampoline. Nice. Um so anyway. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I saw him the last time I was there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. When you're thirteen you learn how to backflip, you know, that's pretty epic, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh we uh are gonna talk today about the way of Christ and the apostles. It's something that I'm kind of obsessed with lately. Uh, the last couple of years I've been studying um, towards a master's and doctorate and also just uh, where, and, and before that, just really been always drawn to the narrative of the book of Acts and just seeing the power and the growth of the early church and just hungry for revival and awakening in our day. And I don't think that the early church in Acts is a perfect church. They are having challenges and problems and we read Paul's letters uh, to the church, and they were had all sorts of crazy stuff, like especially yeah. in Corinth, <laughs> that was going on: divisions, sexual morality, weird doctrines. You know, people getting pulled apart, uh, the church getting pulled apart. So it's not like a perfect church, but there was a real power of multiplication. And you know, in the first three hundred years of church history, uh, the whole Roman Empire was infiltrated with the message of the followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if we look through the book of Acts, um, in Acts 11, it says that the disciples or the followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. But then throughout the rest of the book, uh, like in Acts 9, it says that the uh, Apostle Paul, who was at that time Saul of Tarsus, he was persecuting the followers of the way. And then in Acts 19, it talks about a rising up against the way. And then in Paul's testifying at the end of the book of Acts to like the different governing authorities, and he talks about how he was a persecutor of the people that followed this way. Um, and so Christianity wasn't first known as a religion, or it was more of a sect of Judaism, um, but it was it was identified with people that were living in the way of Christ, and then the way of the apostles as they followed Christ. And so I believe God wants to recover that in this generation. Uh, there was a chaplain in the Senate named Dick Halverson in the 80s, and he spoke in the U.S. Senate, and he said... Uh, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women women centered on the living Christ. And I feel like, well, it was a, that was the way. That's what he's describing. And he said, you know, then it moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome and became an institution. Then it moved to Europe and it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America where it became an enterprise. And so I believe, and he said in that moment, we must return to a relational fellowship as followers of Christ. And I'm thinking what he's describing is we need to return to the way. We need to we need to get yeah. back to the way of Christ, the way of the apostles. And the scripture that kind of, to me, is like it's the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, which we just had actually on the church calendar uh, uh, a couple Sundays ago. Um, and so in Acts 2... After the Holy Spirit falls on the church, they speak in tongues. There's a rushing wind from heaven, a sound from heaven, flames of fire appearing above people's heads, 
thousands of people giving their, you know, their faith and trust um, to Jesus, 3,000 to be specific. Then it says that after this, so the church is like born in Acts 2, um, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So yeah. it's this very dynamic picture of like, so the church is born, and they start meeting together every day. They meet together every day in houses. They are meeting regularly in the temple to pray together, experience God's presence. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they have these large gatherings uh, were thousands, at least hundreds or thousands are probably gathering at a time, and then they're meeting house to house, and they're breaking bread, which means they're eating, but it's implied they're probably taking the Lord's uh, communion. supper, communion, yeah. yep, and then they're seeing signs and wonders done at the hands of the apostles, they're practicing radical generosity, true community, they're meeting in homes, which means, I don't know, like, if you're having people in your home all the time, you probably got to have a certain level of order in your home, like not just saying like a clean house, but like they're living life together. So like the marriages and families should be impacted by this new, this new birth of the church and like following the ways of Christ. So it should imply, and we can extrapolate that through Paul's letters that like leaders are emerging based on the health of their marriage and family, um, elders and deacons and things like that. So, so there's order coming to households, families are being renewed and then daily people are being added to their number yeah um which is awesome <laughs> and you know we need a move of god like that in our generation we pray for the harvest and i think that there's been times in church history like the chinese church is experiencing like crazy growth and a lot of persecution which is much more similar to the early church than what we experience like in an American uh, context. Um, and then like, I think John Wesley in history, like he tapped into that model of like these great moves of God's power and miracles and like right. hundreds and thousands of people coming to Jesus, but then also like this daily discipleship meeting together in homes, like bringing people together in community and in spiritual growth and accountability. So like he had this like awakening revival, but also discipleship and like living the life. And to me, that's what the way is. The way is both large gatherings, signs, wonders, and miracles, the presence of God coming on upon a people like the day of Pentecost and like happened other times in the book of Acts. But then also it's like a daily lifestyle. It's like we, where we do life right. together. We get in homes together. We, we live this out. And if, People can only get saved in a church service or with a professional preacher. They probably couldn't be added every day. So we got to live this faith out in such a way that daily, as people just regularly live their life, the church could spontaneously expand because, you know, James is snowboarding and <laughs> just getting to be with a friend or witness to somebody or pray and be a living example everywhere we go. You know, inviting people into our homes um, as much as we invite them to like a church gathering, right? And they can see our way of life. They can sit around a table with us and eat and and ask questions and just see like, hey, the Jesus way is superior to any other way. And it's something that we embody with our teaching and our prayers and our spirituality, but also with the way we live, the way we conduct yeah, our households, awesome. the way we treat treat people, um, so everything, so I think that the way of Christ and the apostles is all encompassing. It's integrated, a way of living. It's an integrated way of looking at the church. And I think it's necessary that we return to this. And so that's what I want to give my life to is seeing the church, living the way of Christ and the apostles, that we might make a major difference in the lives of our community, in our city, wherever God calls us uh, for a great harvest of souls and that people would find their purpose in, in God and, and go change the world. I mean, eventually this came to a point where like in Acts uh, 17, and then let's dialogue a little more. Sure. So I'll be kind of done with my intro here. But uh, 
you know, in Acts 17, they we get to a point where it finally says that these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here too. And that's in uh, Thessalonica. And some translations say, here's the people that turned the world upside down. Come on. You know, yeah. and they didn't have a political party. They didn't have favor with the government at this point. Um, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't have anything other than the gospel and a love and a devotion to Christ and to one another. And they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they practiced a radical love and kindness for people in the church, but also for people outside the church. And they, they, and they, they preached Christ. They preached his ways in amongst a pagan idolatrous culture and, uh, you know, very spiritual culture, um, but very like, full of sexual morality and confusion about God's order and design for humanity, you know. So anyway, um, but it came to the point where like, hey, these guys are turning the world upside down. And I'm like, that's what I believe we need. We need yes, disciples, witnesses that live in the way that turn the world upside down. Amen. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting topic. Yep. And, you know, I think the question mm-hmm. is like, when we look at the book of Acts yeah. and we see what they did, I can see how people can come to the conclusion that, well, that was a special thing for the apostles right. and not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we don't believe that. We believe that God's doing the same things today as he was before. Yeah. So, you know, what do you think? Do you think that the key aspect of what we're missing is people are not observing what we would call from Scripture the Didache or the teaching? Yeah. Do you think a lot of the lack of the power in the church has to do with false believing? Yeah, You know, I like a scripture that always comes to mind, which is interesting what Jesus said. You know, he said that uh, because of your traditions, mm-hmm. you make the word of God of none effect. Yeah. You know, and but the Didache also has traditions in it. Yeah. And so I guess that's something that I feel like there's people in the church that they they want to stay away from tradition mm-hmm. because they don't want to, you know, maybe un, unwillingly embrace something that's religious. Right. And but at the yeah. same time we see that in the scriptures there's tradition and yeah. not all traditions are bad. Right. Some traditions came from a genuine faith and mm-hmm. a knowledge of the Lord. Yeah. And they were holy. So how can we avoid getting into maybe like a legalistic type of tradition? Yeah. And but embrace truth to potentially right. restore power yeah. um that we desperately need today. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um and uh I think even like the scripture I'm referencing in Acts 2, like it says that they they met around the apostles' doctrine, and the apostles' doctrine would have included some kind of tradition that they were trying to teach them. And then you hear that word in Paul's writings a lot, um, where he's like, you know, honor the tradition that we passed on to you, honor the pattern that we gave you, mm. follow the example, you know, and sometimes it looks that it's like more like an example of like follow my lifestyle, but then other times it's like more, no, you need to follow the teachings or traditions I gave you. But then we have that warning from Jesus in the Gospels about how the religious leaders on Judaism, the Pharisees, they, or the scribes, they, yeah, they were making the the power of God of no effect, like that because of their tradition. So I think there's an application that like, I don't know if it's a balance or a continuum, but like you need certain truths and traditions to be faithful to, but yeah. you can also get more into the form of things and not really understand the power that and, and the personal uh, relationship you're supposed to touch. So I think the reason that we don't see a lot of the power that we see in the early church is I think we're not desperate enough. Like there's a few things. I think we're not desperate enough. I think there's a lot of false beliefs that came through the through the church history. Um, so let me speak about desperation and hunger, about. Uh, sure some traditions and teachings that crept into the church. And then also I think the wrong view of the church. So there's probably three things like the desperation and hunger. Like it's hard to produce that in a people that aren't really persecuted or aren't marginalized probably because there's things that happen in persecution and suffering for Christ that like, Hey, if you don't have a doctor, if you don't, if you can't legally um, gather as a church, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm mixing some things together. You know, like if you can't go to a doctor, obviously that makes you desperate for Jesus to heal you. If you can't gather because the government's restricting you, then you're desperate just to be able to pray. But you believe prayer and fellowship with other believers is so important that you're like, I don't even care if I go to jail for this. Like, 
doesn't matter to me. So there's something that happens when really when Jesus is all you have <laughs> as an option, then you really put your, you really go all in. Um, and so I think that's part of what happens in the early church or in certain places is that we have so many comforts or distractions. So I think we have to shed our false reliances because we should be just as desperate for Jesus, whether we're persecuted or not. But at the same time, when you have all these other options to help you and support you, and some of them are even good things, like a doctor, is it's a blessing to have a doctor. It's a blessing to have resources. It's a blessing to be able to worship freely. It's not like we want to invite persecution or suffering into our lives, you know, yeah. just to act like we suffer more. But I think that, that that spiritual hunger and desperation for Christ, like I, we need to know him. We need to, ex, in an experiential mm-hmm. way, we're all in. We need to pursue that as much as possible. And then I think that the false teachings that crept into the American church through cessationism and B.B. Warfield, and B.B. Warfield was really strong as a theologian in some areas, but unfortunately cessationism crept into the church, and I think we're kind of like have a hangover of that because a lot of Christians don't actually believe in cessationism anymore. It's becoming more rare probably every decade. It's like it's dying. Um, there's a few Calvinists and uh, reform people that hold on to cessationism now, but most evangelicals and Baptists even uh, that would have been more cessationist are continuationist. Continuationist? But, uh, yeah. What's that? Well, I mean, the, the holy that the gifts of the Spirit continue today. Oh, gotcha. That God's still doing miracles. Where cessationism means that the gifts have s- ceased and they don't they're not in operation either. When the Bible was completed or when the apostles died, the miracle gifts stopped. All the sign gifts stopped. So we don't really need those anymore. So most Christians don't believe that anymore because it's really sloppy biblical exegesis to to interpret that the gifts were going to stop at the death of the apostles or that like because some people think oh we need this big jump start that's why they have all these miracles in the early church because god had to kick start it with a bang and a pow you know uh uh-huh. but then uh now that we have the bible we don't really need all that stuff because we have the word of god which i mean uh, thank god for the bible <laughs> and the word of god but the bible's the what teaches me that god speaks to us prophetically and and there was no clarity on these gifts ceasing until to me first corinthians 13 until the end comes which is the return of christ not the completion of the bible so so but that even though people don't most people don't believe that anymore mm-hmm. i think it still kind of influences their theology a lot yeah uh so it's like well i believe god can heal you know, I believe the gifts are for today, but there's not necessarily this zeal where it's like, hey, we need signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, we just got to watch the Bridge Summit with Bishop Joseph Matera and some people, and uh, Craig Keener, who's an incredible, and Randy Clark, who are both great uh, Pentecostal charismatic scholars and practitioners. Um, they they reference this guy, J.P. Moreland, who's another, he's more of out of a Baptist evangelical tradition, if I understand it right a big school in California, I forget, is it Talbot School of Theology? He said on a study that he was, uh, he just referenced a study recently that 70% of people around the world that come to faith in Christ come to faith in Christ as a result of like a healing or a miraculous sign. Wow. And it's like 70%. Okay. So um, God is at work. And we, I think Jesus and the disciples preached and taught sound doctrine and preached the gospel preached from the scriptures, which is mainly the Old Testament scriptures, of course, at the time of the writing of the book of Acts, or the, the time when Acts took place, because they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament right. codified yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, or or canonized yet. So, anyway, they, uh, yeah, so they, we, I think we need to expect the miraculous, and we need to just take risks and take chances to go for it. You know, like, I remember, like, John Wimber, before he had like a breakthrough in healing ministry in the Vineyard Church, God spoke to him and said, you need to start praying for the sick. And I think they prayed for people for like a year or more, and they didn't see anybody healed. Wow. And people in his church, they had not had any experience with it because it wasn't that common in a lot of churches to get like weekly prayer for healing. And so uh, he's like, people would kind of like mock him and be like, if, you know, like in his own church that were like, are you sure we're supposed to do this, Pastor? Like, it's not working. 
you know, he's like, we'd pray for people that had a cold and we'd catch their cold, you know, and they wouldn't get healed. And so he's like, it was very discouraging and yeah. challenging for him. But he just felt like he got up one day and was like, the Bible says to pray for the sick. And so therefore, if we never see anybody healed the rest of our lives, we're going to pray for the sick every week because we're going to obey the Bible. Mm. And he had such a biblical conviction, even before he saw fruit, that he was going to do it. So, And then, of course, healing started breaking forth. And he's probably one of the ones that in the last, you know, like 40 years or, or, or so of church history has impacted the church, especially the evangelical church in America, to believe God for miracles, to come out of cessationism, mm-hmm. and to actually expect people to get delivered of demons and healed of sickness. And like, he has such a huge impact on the body of Christ because he got desperate and he just kept at it. Just went after he it. Went after it. Yeah. And then I would say one other thing, I know it's a long uh-huh. answer to a short question. Um, That's a good answer. Is that in the early church, you looked at the church as a place you participated you were a part of something. I think now we look at the church as a place we go. Like, oh, yeah, that's you know, really true. Uh, man, I got a church. Do you go yeah, to? what good church do you go to? Like, oh, our, my pastor's great at my church. The preaching's great. Oh, the worship's so powerful. We got a great, oh, we have got a great live stream experience. I'm just, thank you for all <laughs> you guys do to get the word out. Like even people in our own church will say that, which I mean, I get it. It's great to have encouragement and to do things well with your teams and your staff. But in the early church, I think that they, the reason, part of the reason they had power was it was like everybody's involved. So if everybody's praying and everybody's like, I got a job to do, I got a witness, I, I, I want to be a disciple, I want to make disciples. Yeah, It was spreading organically because it wasn't just a select few professionals, right? It was like, it was everybody. So I think that when the church sees themselves as the bride, sees themselves as the body and everybody has a part to play. Every person is a part of the body. Then, you know, it's all play, all hands on deck. Um, then there's way more power because, I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, you get a hundred people that just go hear somebody speak versus a hundred people that are volunteering, following each other up, witnessing to their neighbors, inviting people to church mm-hmm. gatherings, um, inviting people to house churches or what we call Jesus communities at sunrise, uh, looking for ways to pass their faith on to their children or other, you know, like all these, um, all these things happening, um, then boy, they're going to have power. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So, so what are some practical steps that people can make Mm -hmm. to come back to this teaching? Yeah. To come back to, the teaching of the apostles, the way of the early followers, mm-hmm. you know, where maybe someone, they've been going to church for a long time. Right. They've sat through a lot of sermons. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've become a little bit stagnant in their faith. Yeah. Not really participating mm-hmm. in the body. They just go to church because that's what we do as Christians. We go yep. to church and mm-hmm. we had a good sermon, a good time. You know, let's say someone's like, wow, I, I want to get back to the truth. I want to get back to the teachings, the gospel, I want my faith to be real. Yeah. Where, where would you recommend someone start? Well, I think that you, uh, people need to be discipled, right? They need to become a student or a follower of the way. And I mean, really, that's what discipleship was, because Jesus is, obviously, Christianity's birthed out of Judaism. And, you know, uh, and so Jesus is like the fulfillment of you know, so much of uh, really the point and fulfillment of Israel's prophecies and, and everything. But so his, his teaching and example of discipleship and how the churches were birthed really came out of the rabbinic or like what the rabbis would do, the teachers in Israel, um, they would teach somebody to follow their way of life and to follow their doctrine and to follow their, the way of living. And so when Jesus called his disciples and said, come and follow me, he's, that's something that was common in the um, in the culture with with rabbis. If a student was excelling at a young age, a rabbi would say, like, you know, you could you can come and follow me, wow. and then they'd live that life. So I think that's the biggest way, in my opinion, is uh, and discipleship is kind of a a word that's defined by so many people in a different way. Or like you say, you know, you need to be a disciple, and people are like, well, I am a disciple. I read my Bible every day, and I. 
I, I listen to Bible studies and I've gone to church a long time. Well, that is a level of discipleship and that's good. Uh, but I think getting deeper training, doing Bible study, pl- finding places to serve, serve somebody that's like specific, ask somebody in your church in a, that's a pastor or a leader or just someone that's further in God than you, like, um, yeah. you know, like if somebody wanted to grow as a disciple, I think like uh, I'd send them out with you, James, to pray for, learn how to pray for people because you have a lot of experience praying for people for healing, whether it's in a church service or just on the street or some random restaurant or some place, right? So they're going to learn the most by joining somebody that could do it. Like if somebody wants to learn how to pray with me, I would invite them to what we call man prayer on Friday mornings and like come pray with me, pray next to me, when I pray in a small group, pray, listen to how I pray. That's how I learned to pray. I was I was with people that were further ahead than me, and I heard how they talked to God, and I felt God's presence. I felt God's power in their wow. prayers, yeah. and I was like, I want that. So I think getting around, that's the greatest way, is walking with people. And I, and I hope that our churches will become more organized to get people together, because the the church is supposed to equip people to do the work of the ministry. That's the that's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers should do according to Ephesians 4. Um, and so what is the work of the ministry? Well, in the Bible, I think the work of the ministry is reaching people with the gospel, loving people, doing good works in your community, sharing the good news of Jesus so that people might be saved yeah. and people might be cared for and people might grow in Christ and find their calling to advance the gospel. Of course, to join God's family, but then also to find their purpose and touch others, right? So, uh, but most of our church equipping is like, and I'm not trying to dog on this because obviously you run media teams, right? But like teaching people how to run a camera, teaching people how to be a greeter, teaching people how to like be an usher, teaching people how to like run a kid's class. And those are all great parts of the church and I'm not against any part of that, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, what about teaching people how to study the scriptures, teaching people how to pray and really get a hold of God, teaching people how to heal the sick, teaching people how to disciple somebody else, teaching people how to kind of discern like right. tr- true doctrine from false doctrine by teaching them the creeds and like what's the importance of the Trinity, what's the p- true view of Christ, that he's not just a spirit, he's not just a physical body, but he's fully God and fully man. He's fully, you know, uh, God, he's fully divine but fully human and understanding, you know, like, so teaching him like, hey, these are like essentials that everybody needs to know and you need to know how to spot spot false prophecies or false doctrines so that you're not manipulated or led astray you know so i think when you could walk with people in those kind of ways and equip people to like impact others that's really what it's about yeah yeah mm-hmm. i like that mm-hmm. maybe the the church needs more examples right of people saying mm-hmm. you know Obviously, I think everyone has a capacity of how many people that they can pour into. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a common thing. People think discipleship is meeting twice a month for coffee. Yeah. And just reading the scriptures and uh-huh. talking and, you know, looking in the scriptures. Jesus mm-hmm. walked with his disciples. Yeah. They got results in miracles and things that Jesus was doing mm-hmm. once he had finally sent them out because they right. had watched him do it. Yeah. You know, it's like the, that type of impartation of being around people. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you want to learn how to prophesy. You got to get around prophetic people. Yeah. <laughs> it just rubs off on you. Right. And pretty soon mm-hmm. you're walking in this stuff. Yep. It's like collateral mm-hmm. impartation yeah. of just being stirred up in that stuff. And I think that that's really cool. Getting back to discipleship and, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that we've been doing here as well in Jesus communities. Yeah which has been really powerful mm-hmm. going through going through the scriptures and teaching mm-hmm. people basic doctrine. And yeah, it's been a lot of positive feedback from people just simply going through the Bible yeah, and being like, wow, I've never really thought mm-hmm. about that before in their learning and sharing mm-hmm. with one another and not just sitting down to hear a sermon. Yeah. So that's really powerful. No, I think that's true. The way of Christ, I think is it's a lot like people have probably said this a lot, but like it's more caught than taught even so like people will, you know, even when we did our school of ministry, uh, that still kind of got integrated with Seattle Bible College. But when we would do that, sometimes we wouldn't even have that much teaching on prophecy. But like a lot of our students would just start learning how to prophesy over people because, 
like my dad, Pastor Dan Hammer, and Pastor Herb Marks, and uh, Ben Dixon, who pastors in the area, has done a lot of teaching on the. So a lot of these guys would just come around, and it was more like even, and some of them did teach actual prophetic topics at times, but even just being around them, you just start catching, like, when we pray for people, people start, you know, getting impressions or scriptures or pictures to share with people that are very meaningful and very exhorting and like very like what first corinthians 14 talks about in prophecy uh, words that build up and and edify uh or exhort and comfort so it was like it was just kind of caught in that culture and i think even like what happens in our house church jesus communities is very uh yeah a lot of things you just catch by being together it takes time for people to open up their life it takes time for people to learn to be exposed to new things yeah um uh, especially if they come from a church where they've never really been trained to pray or hear God's voice um, or things like that, or how to even, I mean, you had to study the scriptures. Like, so you just, you just get around people that are more advanced, right? you know, and, and uh, not that it's about levels of who's more advanced or like, it's not like we have like ranks or, you know, black belt, <laughs> right. purple belt, blue belt, or like, you know, it's not like we have those kind of things, but you do know that there are people that are experienced or that have a certain grace on their life right. and when you feel drawn to grow in those areas yeah you get around them and you just you start hanging out together and right. pretty soon there's growth so i have a question yeah so i know that there's groups out there that mm-hmm. are kind of critical of becoming maybe too heady or too much into doctrine mm-hmm. just to them they think which i kind of understand it in part right. there's these theologians that have all this knowledge and they don't seem to be operating in any power at all. Yeah. It's like, how is that even possible? Right. If you truly have mm-hmm. the truth, shouldn't mm-hmm. you be operating in power Yeah. to some degree or some level in some mm-hmm. way? And then on the other hand, there's people that operate in power mm-hmm. and they have bad doctrine. Yeah. And people want to hear them teach yeah. on whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they have bad doctrine and they're right. operating in a gift by faith. So it's like, how can we... Obviously, that's not the case with Jesus, mm-hmm. who had perfect doctrine. Yeah, or the Apostle Paul, right? Who had great, you know, perfect doctrine from Jesus. Yeah, and also operated in power. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul said things like, "Hey, for those who doubt that Christ is working in me, like uh-huh. when I show up, we'll see who has the power." Yeah. Basically, you mm-hmm. know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, how can we have? How can we discern? Mm-hmm those things yeah it's 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 important to think like holistically or robustly about the scriptures on these kind of things because like part of why cessationism started with bb warfield as i understood hearing about the history of it was he felt like certain people were teaching doctrines that were off and so therefore if they were doing miracles it must be of the devil because they didn't have perfect doctrine in his eyes oh wow um but then like the Corinthian church seems to have some pretty wacky doctrines that Paul's correcting, mm-hmm. yet they're having genuine gifts of the Spirit happening. And he had to bring order to them because they weren't doing everything right. Uh, but, you know, like, and then even in, like, back in the Old Testament, Moses is a really powerful example because one time God tells him to strike a rock and water will come out and he'll miraculously provide water for the people. And then the next time Moses is, like, really angry at the people of Israel and God tells him to speak to a rock to make water flow, but he struck the rock out of anger. And that's actually when God judged Moses and is like, hey, because of your sin as a leader, you won't get to take your people into the promised land. Like, I'll take you right up to the edge of it, but you won't enter in. Wow. And so he literally gets punished by God for disobedience as a leader. But when he struck the rock, water still came out. Still got water. And so the people still got a miracle, even though their leader was in the wrong. So that's not an endorsement to do wrong things as a leader because God can still bring correction into your life as a leader if you're doing something wrong, but he'll still do miracles for people that are desperate. So I think it's very confusing for people because they'll be like, oh, that TV preacher that claims all these miracles, he, you know, committed adultery or embezzled money or had weird teaching on some view of this or that. Um and so, therefore, you know, he's leading people astray. But it's like, no, he's preaching Christ. And he, and often those people will, like, I, they believe the true gospel. They believe in the true Christ, Come you on. know. Yeah. Um, but something happened in their life where they became unsubmissive 
uh, to the Lord. And they quit walking in character and integrity, right? But yet God still did miracles. So it's not an endorsement of their life or their message. So it's like when God does miracles through us, it doesn't mean that we're more special. It doesn't mean we're right. It doesn't mean we're holy. It doesn't mean that he's endorsing. And But we get very confused about that. And it doesn't right. mean God's endorsing these other people. Um, I mean, even the disciples, when they were doing miracles in the Bible, they were baby Christians. You know, they were, I mean... And arguably, they you know they hadn't even received the Holy Spirit yet, so it's kind of that weird in between stage where Christ had given them delegated authority in His name, mm-hmm. but yet they didn't have the Holy Spirit like dwelling dwelling in them, in them yet, right? Yeah. Um. So, uh. But anyway, but they could do miracles, and they had all sorts of attitude problems still. So it wasn't like uh, they weren't ready for leadership yet, but mm-hmm. He was training them. Right. So, so I think that. Uh, but then again, you can have, like you said, perfect doctrine. And or you know really know the scriptures and have no power and I think like Paul said knowledge uh, puffs up but love edifies or love builds up and so we have to be really careful of gaining knowledge that causes us to walk in a spirit of pride I mean a lot of the mm. leading like Bible language scholars in the world don't even believe in God don't even believe the scriptures they, they don't just, even believe in God yeah they or they just look at like scriptures as like a historical document kind of like if a christian wanted to be an archaeologist and like study ancient egyptian hieroglyphics you know they're not studying egypt egyptology or hieroglyphics or whatever or different ancient languages because they believe in the spirituality of those religions they're just like more studying the history or the linguistics or you know things like that where so some people are just interested in the world, like, oh, the Bible is a fascinating book to me. Like, I just want to look at the history and like, oh, they are these interesting myths and stories. Uh, but th- none of this is real, is it? You know, so so sometimes th- they don't even believe it at all. But then you do have a lot of people that do believe in the Bible yeah. that teach, but they don't believe or they don't see like uh, direct answers to prayer or miracles. Um, and I think that's tragic. And I think God works with us wherever we're at you know like if we're only going to be he'll he he'll use us despite areas that we have blind spots or we don't have good fruit so it's not like they're false believers or false theologians or teachers if they don't see power right he they could still understand and discern truth and they could still be helping people understand the bible better um right and grow in their their walk with christ and in their knowledge of god their worship to god their their character you know so there's a lot of good things that god can use cessationists and i consider them brothers and sisters in christ but i think like man we want people to have both right that's to me like that's what i see in acts 2 that's what i see throughout the scriptures it's integrated it's like truth and power you know it's like fellowship and community but also revival and miracles and i think that jesus commissioned the apostles to make disciples in mark 16 he said to preach the gospel to all the creatures uh, and to that these signs would follow those that believe they would heal the sick, they'd cast out demons, they'd speak in tongues, they wouldn't be poisoned or killed by snakes. Even God would give supernatural protection to people that go preach the gospel. So all these signs, wonders, and miracles would accompany the preaching of the gospel. I would ask, when did that ever become irrelevant? Like, yeah. do people still need the gospel for forgiveness of sins in 2022? Yep, we still... People are still born into sin, separated from God, and still need Christ to save them and forgive them and give them new life. Um, and people still need healing of sickness. Yes. And even in 2022, all of our medication and all of our science, I mean, thank God there's certain diseases that don't, aren't as prevalent. And we've stopped different plagues through God's gift of scientific understanding and discovery. That's great. Um, however... There's a ton of diseases that don't get healed or cured, injuries that don't get healed or cured, and there's tons of mental illness and even demonization. Um, and even like the Catholic Church reports like a huge spike in the need for exorcisms like uh, in this last like several years. Like they're, oh, really? like, they, they're calling for more priests and people to get trained for exorcism. So Jesus has commissioned like go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and preach the kingdom, preach the good news of God's reign. Like... It, it's just as much needed today as it was back then. So that's why I'm like, we can't hold off on the power because that's a major way, that's a major need that people still have. And if we love people and care about them, we should want to bring all that God has for them to those needs. But then it's also a significant way, even as studies bear out, that a lot of people will come to faith in Christ 
is because God does touch them with his power and they're set free from evil spirits or mm. maybe some kind of mental illness or physical illness that right. God's healing their signs comes to them. their signs. Yeah. For and, unbelievers. They and, need signs. Yeah. God, this is God's idea. That's right. Signs point to something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think a lot of people have mm-hmm. in the area of healing have been hurt. Yeah. And they've put up walls to, you know, some people in their heart have said, mm-hmm. I believe for this, it didn't happen never again. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that can be really challenging to get people back into a state of mm-hmm. believing again, yep. desiring in God for these things again, mm-hmm. uh, because they've decided they were going to go that direction and didn't get the results like they did. Yeah. But you bringing up Wimber, mm-hmm. you know, what tenacity Yeah. to just say, I don't, what if I never see results? Mm-hmm. This is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uphold the word yep. until I see what the word says. Or even if I don't, at least I'm obeying the word. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful attitude to have. Yep. Right. I, it's challenging. Like the Bible even says like hope deferred makes the heart sick, you know? So when you have set your hopes and your belief on something working out, uh, then, and it doesn't, then it can be pretty discouraging. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, of course. Um, and I think God has compassion on us in those times and he's not afraid of our questions or our anger or our discouragement over those things. We can be really honest with him. And, uh, but, uh, I, th- I think we're, you know, we're very driven by feelings and experiences more than by the word of God and the promises of God. And so we have to learn how to like renew our minds and shape our faith by what the word says over what we feel. Mm. And it's, I think it's, that's part of Christian growth, discipleship, maturity in the Lord is learning to live that way, learning to live by what scripture yeah. promises us living to word by living <clears throat> learning to live by what god's will is not that it's not according to my feelings or my experiences even it's according to what he says right and learning like jesus is said, challenging yeah live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god it's a fight of faith mm-hmm. i feel like every day we're being our faith is yep. being challenged and needs to be exercised right every day mm-hmm. yeah and and it, I think if we come together in community and we're all on this mission together, we can hopefully encourage and help each other because it's, it's important for people not to get into self-blame when they're not seeing results or they're not seeing an answered prayer. I mean, I've heard some other people teach on this a little bit too, and I think a lot of people start to really believe in healing when they get really desperate for a miracle, so they kind of out of a panic start going, oh, of course it's God's will to heal people. My my family member is ill or my close friend is ill, and, and then... I'm putting it all on God and they read every Bible promise and they start listening to people that have healing ministries and they start hearing testimonies. And I think that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And people should do that. But I also think that we have to build a faith that's beyond just those moments of like, you know, like uh, a big need. Right. Um, We've got to start. um, In time of peace. Yeah. Prepare for war. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Sometimes the battle's here. Right. And we're not ready. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes you go through a time of suffering or disappointment. And I'm not saying that God, like, makes people suffer physically from sickness. That's a whole other topic for another day. Right. Um, But I do think there are things we learn and grow through, uh, through hardship and through not understanding things. Because we don't don't get perfect knowledge. We don't get perfect prophetic insight. We don't have good answers for everything that why did this person get healed and this person didn't? Well, we know why people do get healed in the sense of like answered to believing prayer as the Bible promises, but like why did they get healed and then we pray for somebody else with the same condition and we've seen them not get healed? We don't really know. We're not God. We we can't really get into the depths and the intricacies of how and why all this could work, right? Right. So uh, we have to just continue to grow. I mean, it's through those times that I've found that like, I become more resilient and I realize it's not about like my emotions. It's not about how much I feel God or, I mean, I love when his glory and his presence comes into a place where I could barely stand up or I could cry or just like, I know God is there in a very weighty way, like almost in a physical way. Um, But that's not what healing is based on. Right. And I think even in the early church in Acts two, it's like they're teaching the apostles doctrine 
I, I don't know if some of that included how to pray for people or not, but it seems to me like most of the record of Scripture and what Paul's teaching, he's not really teaching on how or why healing works. He's just teaching that it does. So it's like we're preaching Jesus and the hope of salvation, and then we're just going to heal a bunch of people. And I feel like today we kind of get more into trying to figure out how angels operate and how healing works and how and, – and there's to a certain degree we do need to teach and train on those things. But, like, I don't know. It just seemed like – God said we have power. We're just going to use, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the truth. We're going to teach people how to live. And then we're just going to demonstrate power. And so that's what I, I just want to preach the gospel, point people to Jesus, teach them how to live in the way of Christ. But then hopefully everything we do, like, I mean, I'm feeling a real conviction because I mean, like preaching on Philippians right now to our church and um, what was I preaching on before that? No, I can't even remember. All right, discipleship. And some of that included um, like healing and stuff, but like, I'm going to do stuff on relationships and sexuality later in the summer on Sundays. But I just want God to show up and heal people, whether I'm teaching on it, focusing on it. I mean, I just think we have to walk with the faith and then we just have to step out and express it and like keep, keep trusting God. Yeah. Right. To meet, to meet people where they're at. Amen. Um, and, And maybe we don't have tons of explanation or, or anything, but I guess the way to focus on it is by just, doing it i mean you can focus on it by teaching on it and that's we do need to do that we do that from time to time but ultimately i think just you got to do it just got to go after it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i love that yeah so i mean i hope that church leaders will continue to just look to the ways of christ i believe we're living in a world that is um looking more like the first century church like you know, like the the early church, eventually when the church started to spread and became more organized between the Catholic and Orthodox church and they, they split. But then um, it just seems like throughout church history, uh, things started to change in civilization to where there was like the um, Renaissance and then the Enlightenment and then modern Western culture came forward and then we got into like more pre- or like more, and then after the modern era, we got into like postmodernism, where now people are questioning everything again. All the assumptions we had about the modern era, about science and reason, and oh, all yeah. that. What are they calling that? Mm. There's some name for that. Postmodernism. Oh, or, postmodernism. Yeah. Or deconstruction. De- well, like? deconstruction is like a result of postmodern thought, probably. Like, and so yeah, a lot of people are leaving the faith or leaving scientific reason. So. Uh, So anyway, to me, it just feels like a very, and I think other sociologists or like Christian philosophers would would agree with this too, that like we're kind of returning to a world of the time of Christ and the apostles in like the the, uh, Roman Greek culture influencing um, society so much that people like in Rome, they had so many different gods and idols and, you know, different moral ethics that like the Christian way is very countercultural again. You know, like oh, when it comes really to true. sexuality, when it comes to how we believe about marriage and family, uh, believing in the power of God, believing in one God instead of multiple gods, calling people out of idolatry. Like these things are like growing so rampantly as people leave Christianity or leave like even like uh, just different different ideas. Um, so anyway, I could get probably mm-hmm. really far in the weeds on this, but... Um, but I think what I'm trying to say is I think the way of Christ is really important because I think the way of family, bringing people into our homes, seeing how we live, like uh, it's not just about condemning the immorality of the world, but like if we just live out our moral values and how they impact marriage and family, I think we start to shine again. Come on. Yeah. You know, I think as we see people that are plagued with disease and mental illness and different things, um, not against people going to doctors or psychologists or whatever, hopefully they're good you know, solidly Christian based or like, cause not every doctor, not every person is good for people. Right. But, but it's good as I don't mind people getting help, but I, I do believe that as we cast demons out and we pray for people to be healed and we help people deal with shame and false beliefs about themselves and different traumas they've been through, that there's a real power of Christ to heal them mentally, spiritually, emotionally too, and, and physically. Right. So as we are faithful to this, I just feel like we have such an opportunity. And I think as people get more spiritual, with this rise of like artificial intelligence, the rise of um, 
uh, pharmaceuticals or uh, hallucinogens. Like people mm-hmm. are really getting into mushrooms. People are getting into are mi- they? microdosing LSD. Yeah, like there, this is like really growing. Like even in the mental health world, they're they're trying mm-hmm. to get more laws passed. And now that marijuana is getting legalized so many places, I think we're going to see more other drugs follow suit probably. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is when the world is more open to drugs, I believe they're more open to spirituality and people Mm. start having more experiences. And you look at the early church, people were using potions and witchcraft and having altered states of consciousness for spiritual reasons. And I think that's going to happen again, more and more and more. It's going to be, so people are going to have more questions for which the gospel is actually the answer. Yeah. And they're going to be more interested in spiritual things. And so we have, I think, just a huge opportunity as we stick to our our moral ethics, as we stick to our uh, belief in the power of God, as we stick to the, our, our Christ as the head, Christ-likeness, Christ's glory, the good news of Jesus in everything. I just think we're... we're not that we've never, not that it's ever been irrelevant, but it just to me it feels like we're more relevant to a culture that's similar to the time of Christ and the apostles. I think it'll be a great. We're living in a time that's a great opportunity if the church gets in the right position mm-hmm. and the right patterns of how we live and conduct ourselves in this idea of the way, this way of we live a way of life together. Then I think that it's just a huge opportunity for the gospel to advance and for. Uh, the loss to be safe. So anyway, I think on time and just wrap it up with that. There's a lot of like it's really good. places we could go. I think uh, we also have a conference coming up. If people hear this before July 13th through the 16th, 2022, uh, that we have a conference called the way, and we're going to be exploring all these ideas and we're bringing these concepts together of the household, marriage, family, uh, the workplace, um, representing Christ for business leaders and flourishing as a business man or woman, um, the idea of revival and prayer and the power of God and making disciples and uh, like so we're going to eat around tables. We're going to have time to discuss. We're going to learn from practitioners, from great speakers. Anyway, it'd be a uh, hopefully we're going to do this annually because I just want to keep equipping churches, leaders, believers, business leaders, people in different churches from around the world or locally that just want to grow. And like, how do I make a how do I make disciples? How do I serve my church better? How do I lead my church in a way that's faithful to the way of Christ and the apostles? And we just kind of go after it. So love to have people join us. That's awesome for that. Yeah, thank you, James. Welcome. Um, thank you so much. It's uh. It's good to talk about these things and yeah, keep the fire. All right, man. All right. Bless you. you. Yeah. Thanks for joining the John Hammer Show. Please give us a thumbs up, like, and subscribe if you're enjoying the content here. And the best way to support this podcast is leaving us a great review. Thanks.